This is Leo Allen from Voluntary Input, and you're listening to Josh Scar and Friends on Talking Smack. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is Alex. Alex, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Things are going pretty well over in, uh, in Alex land. I've been doing some adult things. Um, oh, that must be awful. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, everybody <laughs> should know being a homeowner is fantastic. Finding out things like you want to paint your house and your house is actually rotting from the outside. It's great. <laughs> so, you know, it's fantastic being an adult, which is why what we're about to talk about is such a reprieve. <laughs> I mean, hell, that's half the reason why we even have the podcast is so we could just get that nerd, those nerd juices flowing. Um, yeah, that just reminded me of uh, I think it was like three winters ago now. Uh, it was just before the pandemic hit. Um, we we found a we are we came downstairs and uh, my wife and I came downstairs and it just stank. We didn't know what the heck was going on. We thought like maybe a cat pooped or something because we didn't have the dog yet, and it, it just we could not figure it out. But when we moved into the house, the previous owners had built like this weird little block uh, next to one of the windows. And I looked in there and there's something fuzzy in there. So I'm like, oh no, something died in there. So we go out there and I pull it out and there's a half rotted raccoon stuck in there. And I realized that the previous owners also decided to tear out the siding from the house. And they built this really bad plywood thing, just like right inside the wall. No, there's like minimal, minimal installation. And it just served no purpose. I have no idea what the hell they were doing with it. It was, I I don't even know, but we, we had to tear that out, get the raccoon carcass out of there because apparently animal control only deals with living animals and we had to patch up that hole in the wall. Yeah, this has been a quite a long saga on my side. Just, uh, we had the painter come out. They started, you know, they got like half the house sanded and then found out, oh no, you have a bunch of rotting wood over here. And then, you know, like, okay, so we'll, we'll get that fixed. Took a little while to get my guy, my guy here. Got that section fixed. Painter comes back out, starts doing it again, finds another spot. I'm like, well, just find all the spots. And then like half an hour later, he knocked on the door and said, like, can we talk? And he's like, and I'm like, sure. And he's like, I'm a good person. So I'm going to tell you, you don't need my services. You need siding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. Uh, so that's been a joy. But at least I did not find a raccoon. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Couple quick changes that you may have noticed between last week and this week. We have intro music and transition music. Uh, thanks to the wonderful Leo Allen of the Voluntary Input Podcast, he put together this awesome like musical score that uh, you will now be hearing at the front end, back end, and in transitions from the show. When I told when I talked to him about it, like I was like, "Oh, this reminds me of like Danny Elfman's Spider-Man with a little bit of Avengers and a little bit of Halo, and like it's so epic and cool." And I love it. And so like, I, I hope all of you enjoy it too. Yeah. I, I felt a little bad because Alex's bit kind of ends, but it's also not going anywhere. Oh no. And which I find funny that you thought you think it sounds like that. Cause to me, it sounds like a little bit of mixture of star Trek meets Lord of the Rings. 
and it, it just gives us triumphant kind of rolling like yeah okay let's let's have something fun and then we start talking <laughs> yeah I, I mean it that, that's kind of the the goal is everyone kind of takes their own thing away from it but as long as everyone gets that like excited feeling when they hear it i'm, I'm all for it so uh, hopefully you enjoy it as much as i enjoy it alex enjoys it um i haven't really heard any other feedback from the rest of the talking smack team but that's on them they can tell me i don't need to reach out to each one of them and be like hey did you listen to the episode why not because i'm not that kind of host boss type person <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know what I am. I'm, I'm the host, but yeah, Alex is our social media manager. And then, uh, everyone else is just kind of, I guess, freelance. Yeah. We'll go with freelance. Yeah. I think freelance is the best way to do about it. We haven't, uh, we haven't unionized yet, so you have that to worry <laughs> about later. Well, <laughs> I, I consider the fact that you guys have not decided to unionize a good thing because that means I'm, I'm treating you well. Exactly. <laughs> or at least I've gotten you to a point where you can't unionize because you don't have the time. It's a little bit of both. That's the game well. right there. <laughs> oh, oh no! You, we should do another one of the, your GameStop stories ones. That was fantastic. <laughs> I think I've wasted most of them between the live stream for the Cure, Fuck My Work Life, and uh, uh, I have an upcoming episode on the Video Game Club. I believe it's going to be this coming Monday from the time this episode releases. Ooh! Uh, which actually, uh, if you stick around through the end credits or the the music at the end there'll be a nice little sting uh from the video game club episode they were kind enough to send me a a small segment of the intro of the episode that uh, i hope you all enjoy and will be a nice tease to get you to listen to the episode as well Um, i'll also put it in at the front of next week's episode for what you're doing because i just it tickled me so much that this happened i'm not going to spoil it alex you're not even going to know until you listen to it fine i'll give them a download uh we are gonna take our quick break we've actually already gone six minutes with this little preamble here we're gonna hear a quick ad spot from super familiar with the wilsons and we'll be right back The Super Familiar with the Wilsons podcast. You know that family whose house you hung out in when you were a kid? The house was a little loud and chaotic but always fun and sometimes felt more home than home. Well, that's us. We're the Wilsons and we welcome you into our podcast with silly chat, ridiculous games, and interviews with interesting people. Like a spin doctor. The Super Familiar with the Wilsons podcast. Welcome home. And we are back. We are here to talk about the newest entry into the Predator movie franchise. It is a prequel called Prey. Uh, went directly to streaming via Hulu, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Uh, but before we really dive into this, we were going to have Antonio Palacios from the Cultworthy podcast on for this episode as well, because he's a big fan of Predator 2 and just the Predator franchise in general. And I really wanted to get his thoughts and opinions. And thankfully, he sent uh, a quick three minute clip talking about his thoughts on the film. So we will hear from Antonio. And again, we'll be right back. Hey there, Talking Smackers. It's Antonio of the Cult Worthy Podcast. Thank you, Josh, for letting me leave my two cents on this film. Sorry, I couldn't make it to the recording session tonight. But oh, my God, let's talk about Prey for a couple minutes. 
So I've been excited for this ever since it was announced a few years ago. I, like many other fans, was frightened that Disney was either going to scrap or sanitize the Alien and Predator franchises. Now I feel confident that it's in good hands, that they're letting them just tell these stories the way they want to. I feel it was a brilliant move to put this on streaming and not force a theatrical release. I think we learned with the last Predator film that there is not a big enough audience to be experimental with this franchise and expect good solid returns financially. So putting this on streaming, letting everyone see it at the same time and talk about it, brilliant move. I hope to see more moves like this in the future. It even makes me more confident with Noah Hawley's Alien franchise TV series coming out in the next couple years. So let's talk about the film. Dan Trachtenberg, direction, fantastic. Perfect guy for this. I love what he did for the claustrophobic feel of 10 Cloverfield Lane. He does the opposite here. He lets the American wilderness of the 1700s play a character with its vastness. I loved every second of that. As for the cast, Amber Mid-Thunder as Naru is a treasure. Put her on a pedestal with Ripley and Sarah Connor. I hope to see more from her in the future, whether it's in a Predator franchise or some other franchise. What a discovery. The fact that the representation of this film, of its Native American culture, was handled so exquisitely, the fact that there's a Comanche version of this film, we were talking about on the Snake Eyes episode how disappointed we were with that kind of woke, forced diversity of that film. Yeah, this isn't paying lip service to woke culture or diversity. This is a respectful representation of this culture and how it plays in a sci-fi action film of this type. So the Predator itself, amazing. I love the effects, I love the costume, and I love how they took a little bit of creative turn with the character design and the technology. And this is exactly what I've been wanting to see forever. I've wanted to see the Predator face either Neolithic man or Spanish conquistadors. I wanted to see pre-industrial humans take on the Predator, and this satisfied my craving for that. So there are some questionable CGI moments in the film that really didn't detract from me. I still enjoyed the film for what it was. I love the fact that there was a dog in this film and the dog doesn't die. I don't think that's a spoiler. I think that's more of a relief for people who haven't seen the film yet. All in all, I would say this is number three in my top three films of the Predator franchise. Predator 1 being number 1, Predator 2 being number 2, and Prey being number 3. Again, this is a prequel, not a sequel, but if you just talk about the franchise, this is top 3. Everything else can just kind of take a walk, in my opinion. Thank you very much for letting me leave this quick little mini-review and my opinion on this. I would love to see more of this franchise, but if this is all they're going to give us, I'm happy that this is what it is. Thank you, Dan Trachtenberg. Thank you, Amber Midthunder. And thank you, Patrick Alzen, for the story. That's it, guys. Find me on thecultworthy.com. I will talk to you later. Alex, how in the hell are we supposed to top that three-minute review? Um, I don't know. Uh, play the outro music. This week we have it. <laughs> I mean, Antonio regularly produces an, a like 45-minute hour-long episode, and yet mm-hmm. he just put a three-minute review out there that's putting the rest of this episode to shame. We're going to be talking for like 20 to 30 more minutes on this, maybe longer. And yeah. I'm like, I can't top that. I want to grow up to be like Antonio, like three minute episodes. That, that's, that's, oh my God. Yeah. I'm what I'm really hoping is that, well, he couldn't make it tonight. What I'm really hoping is 
he spent about a good 45 to 50 minutes writing this all out, then condensing it, doing like five or six different takes. So it took him like two <laughs> or three hours to get out that three minute thing. And when he sent it, he went, yeah, those guys are screwed. It's all about they the can't production this. value. <laughs> exactly. He did it just to troll us. He's like, yeah, they're going to put this I in the front. He, he just dropped a review for like the most recent movie of the year. And mm-hmm. we're like, what else are we going to do here besides just praise Antonio for being amazing? <laughs> well, apologies, listeners. You have to suffer with us for about <laughs> another 20 minutes as we stumble through this. We're going to try our best. So Antonio raised a really good point here uh, before we start diving into our review and spoilers. It was this a good idea to release as a streaming movie, or do you think this maybe de- like the the finished product obviously deserved a theatrical release? I think this could have made some good money retroactively by word of mouth. But as a streaming movie, do you think this will drive up subscriptions or gain more traction and uh, some more uh, notoriety for Hulu original releases and just streaming movies in general? I think with the current climate that the movie theaters are, is that there are, while movies are making hundreds of millions of dollars, you got Top Gun out there, Thor, Love and Thunder, apparently Minions. The other films are really struggling to find any kind of audience. You really have to essentially trick the audience or give a guaranteed property. And unfortunately, Predators is not a guaranteed property. The one from a few years back, which was considered like a continuation reboot thing, didn't do well at all. The last one before that, Alien vs. Predator, um, Requiem, I think that was the one. It didn't shake, you know, shake a whole lot of money out there. It kind of floated around a little bit. So I would have liked to see this movie released in theaters because it is such a quality movie. It is, it has such amazing representation in it and it's such an effective spin on the predators franchise that I think it would have found some audience, but I don't think you're looking at a hundred, $200 million us, you know, another $200 million worldwide. You're probably looking at maybe crawl into 80 or 90 million, but when you if you put it on Hulu and especially you give that option of it's a Friday, you know, it's a Friday premiere for Hulu. It's kind of a week weekend right now for the uh, for movies being released right now. And the positive word of mouth, as well as I like that when I went to select the movie, it had two options. Do you want regular or do you want the Comanche edition? It created interest. And now that I've seen it, it's like, yeah, I want to see what the alternate version is. I, di- I kind of disagree that the uh, I, I think this movie would have made probably over a hundred million overall at the box office, which for, for this movie would have been a, a pretty big profit and like globally probably would have made three two fifty to $300 million, uh, which again is a huge profit for it. But I, I do think that maybe streaming was the better option just because people would be more forgiving of this movie with some of its shortcomings, like Antonio mentioned, like some of the CGI is pretty bad, like the certain moments yeah. with the bear and then early on with the the deer and the snake. Uh, some of that stuff is pretty lackluster CGI, which, again, you're you're not going to clean up too much, I think, in a theatrical release for a movie like this. So I think streaming was the right choice. We'll see what happens going forward, because there is some sequel bait that we'll get into as we start discussing spoilers. But overall, I I think this is a a theatrical worthy movie. Really, I think even if you take the Predator out is still really compelling story. It's kind of a 
a tropey story of the woman of the tribe is overlooked because she's a woman. She she's really good at healing. So why doesn't she just heal? She, but she wants to be a hunter because deep down that's kind of who she is. And she has to fight her way to become that hunter and just kind of work her way through some of the things that are kind of mental blocks for her. Although within the movie, like she's shown to be extraordinarily smart. There's just something stopping her from that final push into the, the kill spot, I guess, or the kill mode, which again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in spoilers, but I I think that most of that is circumstantial more than anything, but we, we had a a really great performance from Amber mid thunder in this movie, uh, who is already getting fan cast in everything for Marvel movies and (laughs) anything else under the sun. Um, I, I know I saw one person say that she should be the new Wolverine. They should make her, uh, um, oh geez, I'm forgetting what, uh, Logan's clone's name is. Oh, what the X 23. Um, yeah. Uh, she has an actual name though, but I can't remember what it is at the moment. Dang it. Yeah. Uh, there, there are people casting her as like X 23 and, uh, making her Wolverine and the, the new mutants and all that. Uh, but I, I, this was a, a fantastic performance and, uh, I, I'm very much interested in seeing what happens with her career from this point on. Her performance was fantastic. And the only drawback that I have for the entire film was some of the shoddy CGI, which that CGI while looking pretty spotty is no worse than numerous things that I've seen in the last two years, either released theatrically or released into theaters. If you want to point it out, it's like, Normally, when I go, you know, see a Marvel movie in the theaters, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm embracing the moment. I have the giant screen that's like 100 feet away. But then I get home and I see it again on Disney Plus, and I'm like, wow, some of the CGI is super spotty. <laughs> like, there are just things that I forgave because I'm like, I'm seeing this on the silver screen. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. And yeah, when I was at home, you know, I was watching this Friday night, I was like, oh, man, that bear's a little bad. That deer is pretty rough. But I, was, I wasn't distracted from the story I was being told, I was still invested in what was being given to me. And so much of that falls upon a tight, concise story that feels that doesn't leave a whole lot you begging for a whole lot uh, more out of it or wishing that this movie would end and the captivating performance. And a lot of that performance is, as you said, is that she is shown to be so intelligent and it's not she's outsmarting other people or the kind of thing where like everybody's going, oh, my gosh, you're so brilliant. It's that they she learns from each experience. And it's a quiet movie because she carries so much of it just wandering on her own. She's not doing like an internal dialogue thing. The director gave the the actress gave such a performance that there, you could see there's the competence in her education as she starts building her plan of what she wants to do. And despite others being like, no, there's nothing out there. It's just a giant bear that she is assured in what she wants to do. Yeah. And uh, to your point uh, that you just mentioned about the CGI again, the, the CGI is, is forgivable because I think they do a really good job of understanding the limitations that they have with the CGI and they never linger on a shot too long. So you kind of just go with it. You're not like, Oh my gosh, look at how this, 15 second shot we have of this deer that just looks horrible. Um, right. It, it, the, the longest CGI shot I think we really have besides like computer generated invisible predator 
is like the predator holding up the dead bear, which we kind of see in the one of the trailers and the the bear just obviously it's a CGI dead bear. Like you're you're going to have to deal with it. Right. But even then, um, the other scene I want to talk about would be would be in spoilers, but, you know, the from the trailer, he kills the bear. And one of the best scenes, in, I believe, in the movie, in just terms of cinematography is he kills the bear, he's lifting it up above his head, and the blood is flowing down, and it starts forming the shape of him. And then she finally is able to realize, oh, crap, this is not a bear. This is not a really giant one. This is something else. And it's just a, it's a glorious shot of mixing of, yeah, if I was in the 17, uh, 1700s, I would be freaked out. <laughs> Heck, if this happened to me right now and I walked outside and like, oh, what's that? Is that a dead raccoon? Why is that thing invisible and floating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the this movie really did a great job because one of my biggest concerns for this movie was that it was just going to be Predator, but set in the 1700s. And this movie is not that at all. It's someone seeking out the hunt, which they, they state pretty quickly that that's the motivation is you have, you are the one or Naru is the one going out and uh, seeking to hunt the hunter. And obviously in the beginning, it's supposed to be something else, but then it becomes the predator and it just, it works so well. I'm probably going to watch it again this week. I, I definitely am going to give it a shot with the Comanche dub just because I want to see, I've heard, two things about it i've either heard that they dub the english audio with comanche but then i had read something else that they did two takes one take was in was in english and one take was in comanche and that's what the comanche dub is um i'm really hoping it's the latter because I think it's not would... i oh, i gave it? no i gave it a, a quick watch i like skipped through to certain points and uh it, it's just a standard dub so like if it was a french dub of an american film it's essentially the same thing um, so it kind of takes away from it a little bit as far as like how cool it could have been. Had they done the latter of what you mentioned where they, they did a second scene, uh, or a second, yeah, they played a second scene speaking Comanche, which would have been amazing, but it also would have doubled the cost of the film because they are literally producing two films then. Well, that's unfortunate. Still, I, I, I had, what I had read up was that they had a native Comanche speaker who was able to coach because um, while most of the cast is of First Nations, Native Americans, they're all obviously um, not all Comanche. They are many different tribes, so but they did have someone there to coach them on the proper dialect of it so that they gave as much of a natural performance with the dub as possible. And I, I really did like that they they still worked in vernacular of the Comanche language because and like it's all it's all contextual. So like you can kind of understand what they're saying. Uh, it's not just like they're having conversations and it's subtitled in that sense. Um, the, the the quote unquote standard edition of the movie is all American with some American English with some Comanche put into it. Uh, which I, again was pretty cool. And I, I, I did like the fact that they had someone on site to help them make sure they were saying the, the words properly so that they weren't being disrespectful and just kind of, uh, you know, butchering words that don't even exist in a certain language. Right. Which actually just remind me, um, I don't think they ever use subtitles because even when it got to, um, they did kind of a, um, 
Hunt for the Red October scene towards uh, towards the middle when she finds the group of the French voyageurs and they're all speaking French and they're not giving subtitles for us to know what they're saying. Um, in fact, and when one of the one of the Frenchmen is a translator who can speak Comanche, when he talks to her, he's talking to her in quote unquote English, but it's Comanche. So we can, you know, but it's English so that we can understand it. I liked that. That actually made me think of how much I love Hunt for the Red October and that the first part of the movie starts off in Russian and then they just switch to English. And then when they all get merged together towards the end, how they switch back and forth between which language are we speaking here and, and how the languages meld and bond. So I really liked that um, part as well. Thankfully, um, one of my friends who was watching the movie with me, my, my best friend who was, uh, she speaks French. So she was translating for me, <laughs> which was really funny. She was I'm like, what are they saying? And she's like, <laughs> They're basically talking about how they're going to kill her. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I watch with subtitles because I've got three little kids in the house and it can get loud. And so I, I usually will watch with subtitles just to make sure that I hear what is supposed to be being heard uh, or so I can see what's supposed to be heard. And even the subtitles, they're all in French in the, those moments, which I really? thought was a nice touch. Yeah. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. They don't even translate it. Not even and like with, like you were saying with the Comanche, uh, when they speak it, it's not subtitled, it's all contextual. So if you're not mm-hmm. understanding when they're talking about, uh, you know, like she gives a, a hand signal and a, a command to her dog where she's saying circle around, but in Comanche, like if you don't get it, you don't get it. Move on. Yeah. It was a great movie, and I really appreciate the confidence of the, of the direction. It just it worked for me so much. All right, well, let's move into spoilers because there there is a lot to talk about in spoilers because they they did a great job with the marketing of this because you're like oh it's a predator movie you're you're gonna want to see it because it's a predator movie, and you really don't get the context of it until after the fact. So with that, we're we're in the seventh early 1700s, like 1719, I think is the year they, they showed on the screen. Yep. Um, and it, it, the setting works so perfectly and the, the suspension of disbelief is perfect because this is a, this is a franchise of Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, Carl Weathers, you know, doing their, their giant high five muscle bound fist bumps. And the one thing I really appreciated about this movie is that they didn't go with the high testosterone. Obviously you have the, the woman protagonist, but you could still get her pretty jacked if you wanted her to, but they, they went with a more realistic approach to the, the physiques of everyone in the movie. Uh, no one's like super buff or six pack or eight pack abs. There's no 300 or original predator going on here with the cast. It's, Everyone's really lithe and lanky and thin uh, other than like el- the elders and chiefs and stuff. But overall, I-, I really appreciated that everyone looked pretty accurate to what most depictions of Native Americans are, as well as the fact that it's not just going to turn into a fist fight at the end of this movie between the predator and our protagonist. Yeah, the setting, it just it you melded into it really quickly and I was happy to see what felt like 
and I, this is obviously me, I'm not Native American, but it felt like a lived-in world and a lived-in place where they, these are just people who are living, I think they said it was like the Northern Great Plains, I think is what it said, like 1719 Northern Great Plains. And it starts off with her being uh, with her being kicked in the shoulder to wake up, to go out and start working and doing her day. And she wants to be a hunter. And she, you quickly find out that part of the reason for that, which is that she is a, um, we mentioned she's a great healer, but when her father passed on, he left her a hatchet or a hatchet, or maybe it was a tomahawk. I'm not sure of the distinction between the two, but he left her a weapon and she has been, trying to figure out how to use that to be a great hunter for the tribe and mostly not failing um because she, she decides doesn't have to that. turn into scorpion for mortal combat <laughs> <laughs> yeah towards the middle um but she doesn't have the kill instinct she waits too long to shoot a, a hawk so her brother takes the shot and brings it back um she does however, Which I, do some sorry combat. i don't mean to interrupt yeah. but that that part I, I really enjoyed because at least she's trying to play it off. Like she's like, I was going to do it, but now I, I didn't want to have to cross the river. Now you got to go cross the river and get all your equipment wet, which yeah. that was a good callback too, because later on with the bear, because her equipment's wet, her string snaps. Yep. And that, that I'm like, that was a great callback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to get your bowstring wet as we find out. Um, so she, I believe what comes back with what, like six or seven fish or something like that. But he, of course, he comes back with the great hawk and it look of all the feathers that we can, uh, that we can use for arrows and uh, fletching and all kinds of stuff. Um, so she has a competence. She doesn't have the confidence and that leads eventually to being kicked awake the, um, a morning or two later where and i love this scene i mean it is kind of stereotypical um like uh imagery but it's the early morning and it turns out it's her mother who kicks her awake every morning to like hey listen we have stuff to do and her mother kicks her and she goes off to go with the others um to go maybe start tending the fields looking for flowers and other stuff and healing potion uh, i mean not potions but healing medicine and herbs and then she ends up walking against the tide of the other women who are heading out to go do that. And I, it gave, it made me choke up a little bit and it is so like stereotypical, like, Oh, she's literally a woman against the tide. But it was like, <laughs> she knows what she wants to do and she is going to face the, I don't know, condemnation or shame or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't seem like she's like an outcast in the village or anything. But she's obviously walking away uh, through them to go on her own path. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that everyone that is like antagonizing her about being a hunter, they're not trying to, they never say like, oh, you're a woman. You can't be a hunter. It's more personal. They're like, we know who you are. You are not a hunter. You, you're great at healing. You're great at this, all this other stuff but you don't have that hunter instinct and the entire movie is her finding that hunter instinct. And they juxtap- uh, the juxtaposition of that is that when it's very early in the movie, the predator is dropped off and almost immediately he is literally working his way up, up the predator food chain by like, Oh, I'm going to like kill a mouse 
then like a rabbit, then a snake, <laughs> then a wolf, <laughs> then a bear. Like he's like working his way up the food chain. I'm like, this is weird. Is this like, does he actually have like a checklist of like, all right, I think I can take on a mole. <laughs> all right. Going to work on that next. And it, this predator is also while well, all the predator franchises they've been very violent. Obviously, one of their um, their shticks is that if once they get a commanding kill, they rip the spine out of it with the head still attached. You see that in the first movie. You see that in the second movie, and then the others. Um, that's actually how they get the tie-in for Predator versus Alien because you see on the trophy wall the head of the xenomorph. But I was like, this one just seems more violent than the others. It's just the disregard for the slaughter is very fascinating to, to talk a little bit about the predator before we move on a little bit more with the story. I felt like this was maybe the most incompetent predator we've seen. I, I don't mean that as like a bad thing. Like, it, it, I don't know if it was supposed to be younger and experienced or what, but it, it seemed like it was, or maybe it was just underestimating the people um, or, or, naru and and the comanche more specifically but i just never got the feeling that this predator was actually a good hunter beyond just its equipment which has always been a weird thing in the predator franchise for me is that they have all this advanced technology they have cloaking and they're like we're gonna hunt and like you're you're cheating though because you've got lasers you've got targeted weaponry you've got shields that can also slice and dice and make julian fries you've got uh heat vision with like you can change your sensors to other things and you've got all this technology which i mean is probably a little bit of a, a commentary on actual human humans hunting animals i shouldn't say human hunting that's technically illegal um <laughs> uh yeah but like I, I just have, I've always been like, I've always had this weird thing with the predator franchise just because again, they, they feel so overpowered that like it also becomes their undoing. Yeah. The hunter, uh, the predators have always been like, you know, seven, eight feet tall, ripped to heck. And it has always been a little bit weird that they, they have, they have the rules of how they fight. If you don't have a weapon, you're not considered a threat. They won't hunt you. They won't attack you. You see that in the first movie. You see that uh, one of them, they even be like, their radar is so, uh, is so advanced that it can detect that you're pregnant. But they have limitations. And this one, I, I did like the design look of this Predator when you finally get the full reveal is pretty impressive. It's... It's year, hundreds of years before the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny Glover ones, so the tech is not as advanced. Like the face, uh, the face helmet is seems to be some kind of bone. The weapons are not quite as advanced with like shooting laser bursts. It's shooting these darts, these like, um, but they're impressive ass darts because they apparently track uh, to wherever the laser's pointing. They, he has that cool uh, expandable shield gauntlet. Um, they have some little laser dart thingies that kind of pop up. Apparently, at one point, cause like an explosion or something. Um, they, there is, it's a, it's a de-evolution, but it also feels appropriate for the period, which is actually kind of interesting. That you know, I, I saw, and the, even the cloaking technology is not quite as good. It's like going on and off a lot more. And there's a scene where there apparently there's been some kind of wildfire, and so there's a lot of ash in the air, and the ash is messing with it so much that the cloaking just turns off for a long time. Yeah, but, all that stuff was yeah. super cool. Yeah, 
so this predator i do kind of agree with you that he's a little more incompetent or must be very young because it doesn't seem like he's set down like uh, the, the predator um with Arnold schwarzenegger landed sat down i'm hunting those people and the even the one the danny glover one uh he's hunting the riots during the riots that go on because this is a good time to hunt humans this one like i said it seemed like he's working his way up the food chain because he takes like a wolf skull at one point so i guess maybe this is his first hunt i don't know and there's a lot of stuff early on where uh naru even finds blood and we've we've never even seen the predator yet at this point i don't think I, I think the closest thing we see is the the snake encounter, which is a cheap jump scare. If you ask me about that moment, a <laughs> little bit, but like, I don't even think the snake got a hold of him, but there's still like a blood trail somewhere eventually. And it was like, what did he do? Did he like scrape his arm on a branch or something? Like how, how thin is this guy's skin? Well, he does bleed a lot in this movie. <laughs> I mean, there are, there's so much blood. This predator bleeds i think that was intentional too because i think they did want to show that the this predator is not as armored as previous predators and like the technology is not all there because uh the wolf fight alone is pretty pretty intense the the wolf gets a a couple of good licks in um bites not licks it's not like it's being like oh hey we're friends um, but the, the wolf gets a couple of good bites and, uh, shots in before the predator uses its, uh, giant Wolverine blade to just gut it. Yeah. That was a little much. Um, I, 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 you know, I understand it's a wolf, but wolves are adjacent or dog adjacent. And it's kind of like a kill the dog moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To Antonio's point, the, the good dog dies, the good boy <laughs> dies or good girl in this case. I, I did create a very um, approachable villain. Um, I actually liked how much time we got with this predator at, during the initial setup. Cause they don't actually, the, the bear encounters what about an hour in and it's a hundred, a hundred minute movie. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually, she actually doesn't realize what she's hunting for until well into the movie. And by then we'd seen it work its way up the food chain to the bear. Um, but she has been telling the people there's something else out there. Like I found these tracks. Oh, it's just this line, uh, this mountain lion we're hunting. It's pretty big. Okay. Maybe it's a tall bear, <laughs> but it walks on hind legs. They do that. Um, yeah. Haven't yeah. you seen that video of the bear walking and waving? <laughs> TikTok was in the 1719s, right? Uh, that's a, that's about right. Maybe that was a, like a tumbler. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a, a vine. I'm sorry. There vine. we go. Yeah, it was a vine. <laughs> She's, uh, so it starts off. She doesn't have that instinct. She goes out with um, the other hunters to hunt down this mountain lion that has gored one of their friends, which is when they set up that they uh, that this person has been gored, she starts healing him by giving him the this orange herb that slows down the blood so that he can make the be carried back to get more healing. And that's what, how they specifically explain it is that if it's near fire, fire will warm him up and fire will cause him to bleed out. But if you give him this flower, it slows down the blood so that he is cool to the touch. 
um, they end up out there. They set, she sets up this kind of idea of like, hey, let's go towards the mountain lion. Uh, mountain lion hangs out near this specific tree. We'll kind of create some bait for it, and it'll come, and we'll trap it and kill it. But of course, the time comes. One of the friends gets gored and promptly forgotten about, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Isn't he did. Well, I mean, he was he was being an asshole to Naru, so you know, it's fine. Yeah, he was he was an ass, but she keeps having the kill shot on this mountain lion, and then she eventually has like um, like a spear, like a branch spear thing, that she has another chance for a kill shot on it, and it ends up attacking her, and they both tumble out of the tree. She hits her head. Her brother ends up taking her back. Brother ventures off, comes back, and he of course has killed the mountain lion. So I, I do want to bring up two things about that scene. First off, the shot that they have of Naru in the tree with the mountain lion is absolutely gorgeous. Like that, that's a cinematography award-winning moment right there in my oh, opinion. Yeah. That that shot was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, speaking of her brother, he looks like a Navi from Avatar to me. Like I couldn't put my hand on it when I was watching it, but as like the film went on, I watched him more and more. Like he's so tall and lithe. I'm like, put some ears on him and a tail and he fits right into the avatar universe. Oh, he's attractive. Um, I think <laughs> his name is, I think uh, Alex just admitted he likes the, the avatar people. <laughs> Navi. I'm excited for the shape of water uh, or the war of waters, whatever the heck it's called. Uh, but yeah, his name is water world. <laughs> his name is Dakota beavers. Um, his character name is Tabe. Tabi. Yes. Tabi. Yeah. Um, yeah, he becomes the war. He is given the uh, the war chief ma- uh, mantle. I mean, he lugged back that entire mountain lion and like yeah. cut off its head. Like, I don't care that that Naru at least got the first kill that or first shot in that really weakened it. Yeah, I mean, hearing that mountain lion back alone should be worth something in that tribe. Yeah, it's that next morning after he's given all these con- uh, claim. He's given the ceremonial staff that we get that moment where she's walking against the tide because she knows there's something out there. So she takes her, her pupper and she goes hunting for whatever is out there. Was it, was it sorry or, um, I don't remember the dog's name. I just remember he, he's the good boy. Oh yeah. Sorry. S a R R S a R S a R I I. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Which I like that dog. I kept hoping. I was like, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Yeah. They, they had like three or four moments where the, where she just ran off on her own and then just miraculously came back. Cause she's a good girl. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you, you were like, Oh God, is this the, is this the moment? Is this the moment that actually, um, that bit where she's off by herself is, um, probably just, some of my favorite moments. It's just a nice little six, seven minutes, probably where she's out on her own and she's looking for, she's hiking the lands and she's, you know, off on her own trying to find something, but where they filmed is just absolutely gorgeous. And that it's actually, you can tell this is all on location. This is not a green screen set. Um, it was just fabulous. And then eventually she, encounters what she's looking for because um there's a bear and she's and she realizes too late that she is up um, downwind of it and then that bear starts coming after her and the dog and then she ends up in the water there it is 
there's this bear chasing her. She goes to hide in a beaver dam. And the bear suddenly gets a surprised look on its face when it's dragged out of there and gets into a fist fight with the predator. <laughs> yeah, that, that moment's in the trailer and it it is a very cool moment. Like I, I watch this by myself because my wife can't watch these kind of movies. She, they get in her head and she gets nightmares and all that sort of stuff. So we just we just avoid it when we can. And I watch this up in the office, the podcasting room, whatever you want to call it. And the minute I saw that scene, I was like, yeah, good thing. She's not watching this with me because she would uh, not be sleeping very well tonight, even just because of this moment. I actually thought the bear was going to like hand it to him like quite a bit more because the bear like knocked him down and dragged him for a, a little bit. But eventually, of course, the predator wins and he's holding him above his head and the blood's go- going down and cascading outlining the invisibility and it starts to reflect off a little bit. And then she realizes, Oh shit. And then it's, I think sees her and she chucks herself down the river to get away from it, which by the way, this leads me to, I had to pause the movie when this happened, but eventually she's found by um, her. People have come looking for her because it's been a few days and she finds out her brothers went to look on like the other side of the ravine for her or something like that. But there's this group of, of, people looking for her and they're going to take her back. And this is when we start seeing that it's not that she doesn't have the killer instinct. She actually is a good fighter. Cause she starts like throwing punches, dirty fighting, biting that guy's arm beats the hell out of him. <laughs> and then my, the part that made me stop was she's beaten up the main person who's trying to drag her back. And there's like four or five of them there. And as she starts to walk away, one of them grabs her spins her about and then the guy she was fighting has stood up and punches her in the face and just pommels on her and i am like oh my god <laughs> like you don't normally see that in a movie of just a flat out just purse male striking a female and i was like oh dear lord <laughs> that that is a great point the you don't you don't really see that uh guy girl fight going that way it's usually a a little more subdued or there's like objects involved yeah this is a this is a straight up street fight really and she's a competent fighter i was like oh she can scrap she does have the instinct she just hasn't been challenged yet yeah or she's like overthinking it because like we were were talking about with the hawk where she's waiting for it to circle back she's not always going to have that extra time and like you don't know if the hawk is going to circle back the hawk could be decide to go the other way so you you have to take the shot when you have it. it has always been is always her hang up is she she never takes the shot. She's always waiting for the perfect moment instead of just going for it and seeing what happens and flying by the seat of her pants rather than trying to stick to her plan. Yeah. What did you uh, think of all of her friends quickly becoming cannon fodder? <laughs> I mean, that, that was to be expected that that was probably the most predator moment of the movie where her her entire hunting group essentially gets taken out. Um, I was it before the bear attack that we see. Yeah, she's because she's roaming the plains and trying to follow the tracks where we see the moment of uh, like the entire herd of bison that has been skinned and flayed and all that, which like uh, that that's the French hunters we were talking about earlier which you're supposed to think that or it's supposed to be kind of a misdirect that the the predator has hunted all these buffalo. But if, if you're paying attention, you'll notice like their skulls are intact and it's the entire herd that's been taken right. out. Usually a predator will only go after the alpha. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because that's when he starts kind of following her, we realize, because she's seen all this gore. And she, I believe, said a prayer and like placed some kind of um, herbal leaf upon one of them. And the predator picks it up and kind of like, looks at it. But yeah, that that scene actually just that just made me sad. Yeah, that that, that scene was heartbreaking. I, I literally had just gone to the zoo the day prior where there's there's like a big buffalo preserve um, and that there's like a bunch of like buffalo were prominent and the they were wonderful for the 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 environment. And then white people happened and the environment changed dramatically after they made the bison almost go extinct. And it's like, yeah, white people suck. Yeah, it reminded me because there's some historical photos of it, like the pile of American buffalo skulls. It's something like 300,000 skulls piled up into this like 30 foot pile with like a few humans around it. Like, yeah, we took out this entire herd so that we could just sell its pelt. Yep. Don't need the meat. Yeah, no, I'm just going to leave it there to rot or just going to steal this natural resource. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing's not happening to the earth right now. You know, fossil fuels and whatnot. That's that's not happening. No, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we need to get off fossil fuels that's my that's that is my point here Ooh, hot take <laughs> <laughs> sorry i want my kids to have a, an earth to live on what um, <laughs> so um with the buffalo and everything uh did you get any never-ending story flashbacks or ptsd when she fell into the quicksand or the mud pit or the bog whatever that was supposed to be I did not in any way, uh, shape or form immediately say, Trey, you don't, <laughs> don't, not the swamp Artifacts. of despair. <laughs> yeah. That scene was pretty cool. Very, very like, Oh, I love that. That came back too. Um, oh yeah. I, I like that. There's so much of this movie. Like this is kind of like the, it's a better version of star Trek beyond because I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy star Trek beyond. Um, I think there there's not a wasted scene in that movie that everything in that movie matters to the plot of the movie. It's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a solid movie because it, it doesn't waste your time and neither does this movie. Everything serves a purpose with what they're trying to tell you within the story. And yep. even with this quick moment where she's trying to follow the dog, she falls into a mud pit or a bog or quicksand. Again, I don't know exactly what it is, but I just remember thinking like, wow, this is the first time in like 30 years I've seen quicksand. <laughs> thought we thought we gotten rid of that. Somebody found quicksand. <laughs> Someone found the Hollywood lot that had quicksand. It's like, we're using this. Yeah. I think it's, um, there's a meme floating around and it says like, as a child, I thought quicksand would hit me way more as an adult. I haven't seen it once. <laughs> So, uh, but that, that comes back later when she's doing her, her big home alone hunt of the predator, which that I, the ending of that with the final battle with the predator, I thought was just fantastic. Oh, it was amazing. Um, but well, let's talk a little bit about the French guys and, and that whole sequence. Then we'll talk Ugh. about the final battle and we'll start wrapping up here. Um, the movie takes a really, like, this is a predator movie. Like there's a bunch of blood and gore, but this movie takes a dark turn when the white people show up, which again is not inaccurate (laughs) (laughs) no so the thing about that scene was um uh my spouse and i from time to time we do reenactments it's something that in this in this general area of the midwest um a lot of the reenactments if you don't want to do civil war reenactment which why would you is a lot of french and indian war kind of time period which um which basically is uh voyageurs 
Okay, hold on. Apparently, off off uh, camera, I'm being yelled at. They weren't voyagers. Okay, apparently, those were just hunters. My spouses let me know. Those were not voyagers. Those were just pelt hunters. My apologies. But it reminded me of that kind of era. The, yeah, and that was like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize some of the fashion. I recognize what they're doing. I understand why they're out there, what they're looking for. They're the ones who are killing all the buffalo. They're wearing it on them. They And they capture her. It turns out they've also captured her brother. There seems to be kind of a nice one who apparently is a translator who speaks Comanche. But no, no, they actually just capture them because they know there's a predator out there, that something's out there, and they use them as bait by tying the two of them up but she of course is competent she has realized by hunting it and it hunting her that it doesn't look for bait it looks for hunters and so we get a beautiful scene of the predator coming in and just wrecking them which what they maybe the french have been on screen for maybe like five minutes total but they're dark they're capturing people they're you're evil and they're then they're getting dispatched and it's like thank you instant joy and satisfaction these people suck yeah i i can't express how like satisfying it was to see all those guys get get taken out and then like the one of course the one like fat leader guy survives for a little bit longer than everyone else but that that entire scene where they they try to use naru and tabi as bait like is just great and i I loved uh naru's little soliloquy that she has talking about how uh she and her brother saw a beaver with its leg trapped between a rock and it starts to like eat off its leg. And you think she's going to use the bear trap that's nearby to or not bear trap, but like animal trap uh, yeah. to like cut off her arm or her hand so that they could go free. But she's got a rock in her hand. And she's like, I'm smarter than a beaver. <laughs> oh, that was that was lovely because that was total misdirect for me because I saw the rock in her hand and she's talking about it. And so what I thought was, so she had the rock in her hand. So you naturally form a fist. And when you form a fist, your arm, your muscles tighten up, your um, your forearm swells up a little bit because you're pushing all this blood flow into it and you're tensing. I thought she was going to use the rock as like extra momentum and to flex her arms when she smashes it, it doesn't pinch as bad. Like, you know, it, and that way she can get, maybe get her other hand to yank it out. But no, she's smarter than a beaver. She just throws the rock into it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then she just recognized that they had enough slack that it'll bite right through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get the beautiful scene where it turns out that, yeah, uh, Naru, apparently what she's been waiting for is motivation because her brother takes off to go find a horse and she wants her dog back from the french and so she goes full murder sore and wrecks everybody in that everybody's still left in the encampment that has not been killed by the predator yeah and that's the that's the scene that happens in in the the ash storm as well right like the yes. hunters have burned down the area yeah mm-hmm. that, that oh that and that's when we get our first like real reveal of the predator's mm-hmm. face and everything and like such a good creature design yeah so good like they're they're there's very little to nitpick about this movie. Like I think the biggest negative is the CGI work, which again, with the budget, you you're not going to really give them that much of a slack. And again, I think they worked around it. Then you start seeing that Naru has activated her hunter instinct because she takes out what four or five of the French there and the camp when she's going to save. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the translator, the quote unquote nice one has come back and his leg is like sheared off 
and he's begging her for help. And she only agrees to it when he hands over his pistol to her. This like really nice pistol. And then she starts inspecting his leg and there's this weird device that has like wrapped around. It's the predator. It's some kind of predator weapon that has like circled around and sawed off that part of his um, shin. And she like, it's like a really, it's like a really bad snap bracelet. Yeah. And then she snaps it back. She kind of ties it off. She puts some herbs on it and then she gives herbs in his mouth and he's like, that's it. And she went, well, you you won't die as quickly now. And basically she's like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I will say if there, there is something to nitpick, it's when he's teaching her how to use the pistol. He's like, you put gunpowder in, not too much, not too little. It's like, but how does she know what is what? Like, how does she know what's too much? What's too little? You can't just give general, Hey, Alex, um, here's how you make a cake. You get some flour. Don't use too much, but don't use too little either. And then you get some eggs. Don't use too many eggs. Don't use too few eggs. It, like how, how do you know what to do with that kind of instruction? Yeah, well, he was specific. You take the ball and you, uh, you pack it down with the little stick in the front. <laughs> At least that part was accurate. Yeah, you, you give it three pats with the stick and then, then you do that. But the gunpowder, not too much, not too little. Like that part, I was just like, how is she supposed to know what that means? But then we do get another education experience for her, which is that the French guy pretends to be dead. Um, when the predator circles back around a camp, apparently he's killed everybody else. He wants to make sure everybody's dead in this, in this hunter camp. And the predator doesn't see him. Like it kind of like, he knows that he's there, but he assumes he's dead. And she learns from that. And I, I just love that. It's just, she doesn't go like, obviously go like, Oh, you can't see her. It's just like, you're like, she's like, Oh, like to, to herself. She's like, wait a second. Then there was this beautiful scene with her and her brother fight the predator. And I thought that was the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, but it was. Yeah, unfortunately, her brother has to die in this. Yeah. <laughs> that is the staple of the predator movie is that it has to be a sole survivor. Yeah. But yeah, I really do love how her brother, um, her brother is starting to learn as well. Um, doesn't have, you know, the several encounters she had, but he suddenly realizes the predator is right behind him. Because they were whooping his ass and then it went invisible and he could then he knew it was behind him. And basically he's like, listen, you are the hunter now, you know what to do, you know, kind of like avenge me kind of thing. And then she does in the other moment that made me just shocked as how watching this movie was. She takes off. She's like cleaning herself of all the blood. And she sees the fat jerk asshole. French guy who captured her and was torturing her brother has somehow escaped and is cleaning himself off somewhere up river. And she attacks him, (laughs) knocks him out. And then it's like this day. And then all of a sudden it's night and his leg is sawed off. (laughs) And I realized, Oh my God, she did that. She captured this guy. She sawed off his leg and she's talking to him. And well, obviously, and she's speaking in Comanche, but it, in English, so we understand it. He doesn't, but he's like saying curses at her in, while trying to like load a gun. And we realize this is her trap. The reason why it's nightfall is she has drawn out the predator to get him because she has already eaten the flower to slow to calm her blood. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> 
and it leads to my the sec my favorite shot of the entire movie is the beautiful just moonlit and and uh, campfire lit shot of the French voyager uh, I mean sorry hunter on the ground with a pistol that uh, with the rifle that's not working the predator um, he's decloaked st- uh, standing above him and she has pulled out the pistol and is pointing it at the back of his head and it's a glorious like screen grab moment and then she pulls the trigger and it's just a spray of green like the cinematographer is beautiful that cinematography. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, the 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 entire final encounter and just the movie in general. Just I I can't say enough good things about this movie. And there there's going to be a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other entertainment sites that are going to be praising this movie, begging for a sequel. We're we're going to be among them. I don't know if I necessarily want a sequel, although there is a sequel bait at the in the credits. But that that final encounter too, just we it is kind of the the predator movie where uh, the original predator movie where she sets up some traps and she lures him the the predator in for a kill shot. But I was just waiting for that moment where the predator was a sore loser and decides to blow up half the the forest. But in in this, she gets a straight up kill, which was mm-hmm. fantastic and. Uh, she, we, we didn't mention she stole the, uh, the helmet, at, after the encounter in the, in the, the ash storm, uh, whatever you want to call it. And she set it up so that the, the quicksand that we were talking about earlier comes back and the predator falls in, decides it's going to line up a shot, not realizing that it doesn't have its helmet or something. I don't, I wasn't quite sure on how the context works with that, where the predator was aiming its gun at her, but the helmet also activated. Um, but she's smart enough to know that it does. And she gets a kill shot lined up and takes it out. And then it just sinks into the, the sa- the quicksand or the mud, whatever. And she brings the head back and she becomes the new war chief movie, mostly over other than the really good uh, credit animations oh yeah those were lovely um from what i looked up um it was a native american artist who did those and it, they did them in the style of um in the style of i think i forget what the, the specific style is called but it was i'm really glad those were not just outsourced to some like oh yeah some production warehouse we'll do this but it was actually somebody specifically doing it in their the proper presentation it oh um of height art that's what it's called height art yeah, and there's there's a dedication to the Comanche people as well as mm-hmm. uh, someone else. Uh, in as soon as the credits roll, like, but the the representation and the care that went into this movie to make sure that the Comanche people looked good and were respected in this mm-hmm. movie it was just top notch. Like Antonio right. mentioned in his review um, when we talked about Snake Eyes, where they were like, let's just make the character Asian and we'll just have an all Asian cast because crazy rich Asians just made a bunch of money with an all Asian cast. So why can't we where this one, it went, this is the setting we need native American people to play these roles because we need to be authentic because that's going to help sell this movie. And it just, it worked so well and it was done so well. It was. And I, I loved it. And like, um, 
I don't believe I've seen Amber Mid Thunder in anything, but I loved I love her expressiveness. I loved her fierceness. I loved how well she pulled it off. I believed the moment part of that is the script, but also it's just the way she carried herself and sold it for me. So I'm really hoping that we do get some sequels, especially with the obvious sequel painting in the well. The gun, it turns out, that was given her is the gun that Danny Glover is given at the end of Predator 2 by one of the Predators. Um, it is the exact same gun. The, the model, the writing on it, it, it's the same weapon. And I believe they confirmed, that the writers confirmed that was intentional. So that excites me because it's like, okay, how did the Predators end up with that? I mean, did the Predators come back and kill her? I hope not. Does she become kind of like the comics and the books? Does she become some kind of respected figure? Because if you do kill, in theory, a predator, that is a sign of honor to the predator people because you bested one of ours. So now you can take a mantle of predator. And the books follow a character called She Predator that basically she eventually goes off with them to their home world and like hunts aliens and becomes like a top lieutenant and within their group. Um, so it could be like maybe some of her descendants, those are some tokens from her descendants that end up being given to Danny Glover <laughs> or what? Don't know. I, I wasn't sure if it was the gun cause I haven't seen predator two in so long. Uh, but I had a feeling it was the minute they made a, an effort to like show us the, the plate on the side of the gun. Um, but I, I think that's a cool callback and it's a nice little touch to recognize that predator two is not as bad as a lot of people thought it was back in the nineties. No predator two. It has a re- there's a real soft spot for her for me. Um, just it's so different, but also it's the one that starts building the mythology of these are not just a, a creature lands and hunts. It's a creature that has, um, that has available technology that does what it needs, but also has a code for how it hunts. And it's also the one that at the end you see, um, at the end, he and Danny Glover ends up fighting inside the predator ship to overcome that predator. And you see, there's a bunch of other predators where they're cloaked watching this. They knew they would like, they do not interfere. This is that one's fight. You won. Here's a token. Here's our respect. You know, get off the damn ship. It also is you. You see amongst all the stuff, you see there's an alien skull and a bunch of like other like kind of like Easter eggy skulls in there. But the big one is the xenomorph, which eventually led to the comics and eventually Aiden versus Predator movies. But it is very cheesy. It's set during a big LA riot. So of course that's why there's no one's really re- understanding, and that's why no one's helping. There's a riot going on. Let Danny Glover handle this all. Um, but no, Predator 2 is a good one. Um, it's just, it's not as good as Predator. But how, which leads me to say that this is probably the best Predator movie since Predator. I mean, I want to rewatch this one to get the more little moments out of it. Because um, it is just that good. And then uh, just again, to echo what Antonio said, because he, he summed up in three minutes, what we've taken almost an hour to talk about. Um, Dan Trachtenberg just did an amazing job with this movie. Uh, I am shocked looking at his IMDb here. This is only, this is his second theatrical movie that he's released or at least theatrical length. Um, Obviously 10 Cloverfield Lane was his first. He's done a bunch of TV and short films. And then this one, so like the dude has talent. I don't know why he doesn't get more work. 
I thought he directed more stuff. No, yeah, he. This is it. Yeah, his his IMDb is a short film called Kickin', a TV series pilot called Black Box TV. Uh, he did a Portal short film, which I'm going to have to look up now because Portal is one of my all time favorite games. And then he got Ten Cloverfield Lane. He did an episode of Black Mirror. He did an episode of The Boys. Uh, he did an episode of a TV series called The Lost Symbol. Now he's doing Prey. And now he's doing a pilot episode for the Waterworld series that's coming out. There's a Waterworld series? Apparently. And he's going to direct the pilots. Uh, okay. You know what? I've actually seen that uh, that Portal short film. It was, I believe, produced by Portal. I'm Valve. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up, see if I can't find that somewhere. Because, yeah, I, I'm, I need to know. I've, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's only seven minutes long. Oh, it's on YouTube. Oh, cool. I'll have to watch that once we're done here. Um, so that's kind of the movie. Uh, we have our rating system, which is must see or pass. Um, I, I, I will say it is a must see Alex. Oh, it's a must see. Yeah. There, there's no debate with this one. Uh, I, I think anyone who has any, any affinity for the predator movies or just like action, action, anyone who has an affinity for like action thriller movies, this is, this is up there. And like I said, even if you take the predator out, and you just kind of let the story play out as it is. I think it's a really interesting narrative nonetheless. Oh yeah. There are a couple things that I wanted to talk about here because um, I, I wasn't sure if we were able to pad out an hour of this um, just because like it, it's not easy to talk about a movie when you're just praising the entire thing. So I wasn't sure if there's going to be a, a lot to talk about with this. So I had a, a backup plan here that I still want to do because these are all so ridiculous. I went to IMDb to look up like, oh, what are some of the trivia pieces here? Because we have the gun, but is there anything else that maybe I missed? Not really. Then I was like, okay, well, what about goofs? There's there's usually some like continuity errors, like a boom mic can be seen in this movie uh, or something like that, which none of that is in here. But there's five listed at this time. And all of these are such like boneheaded just shut up and watch the movie kind of things like they, they, these are people just cannot enter a suspension of disbelief. Uh, the first one is about the, the Frenchman who eats the orange herb and the predator can't see him because his blood flow is slowed and his body temperature is supposed to drop or something like that. Or he feels cold because his blood has, his blood flow has slowed. They're like, yeah, no, he would go, he would go into hypothermia and die. Dude, shut up. The movie established it as this is what's working in the movie. It's fine. The The movie specifically says like two or three times. If you eat this herb, it slows down your blood enough that you feel extremely cold so you can survive. Yeah. And then the next one is same Frenchman who we just talked about hobbled to the camp on one leg. They're like, oh, yeah, he would have bled out before he got to camp, which he has the the weird snap bracelet on Mm -hmm. his leg that had already amputated his leg. So like, maybe that's preventing blood from dropping out. And you, I'm pretty sure you see a a tourniquet. Like he's smart enough to put a tourniquet on his leg. There is a tourniquet on his leg in addition to the snap bracelet. Yeah. So even, even without that, like someone wasn't paying attention and again, just shut up. The movie needed it to happen. Mm -hmm. And the last one is Naro gets her head knocked on a rock and other hard things twice. She probably has a concussion, but she's perfectly fine physically and moving along with very little rest. Again, shut up. The movie needs this to happen. People like look at John Wick. There's no reason 
John Wick should be running around doing anything in those movies, but the movie needs it to happen. So shut up and just enjoy the damn movie. Uh, the reason why she does not have a concussion is not suffering ramifications is we didn't find out about concussions until 2008. Okay. That's the thing. We didn't find it out. We're sorry. Will it Smith the- found them and then decided to go after the NFL. And that's why he decided to punch Chris rock. Exactly. It's all tied together. We didn't know because rocks it. cause concussions when you hit people <laughs> on the head. <laughs> Just hit her head twice <laughs> on a rock. <laughs> but she's perfectly fine after that guy punches her in the face. <laughs> the the last one here, there's one that's been incorrectly regarded as a goof, so I'm gonna disregard it. Um so there's technically only four quote unquote goofs in this movie uh that people have found so far in IMDB. The last one is uh in the final fight, uh where uh the predator is trying to find Naru after she's taken the orange herb and she's hiding in plain sight uh she kind of moves a little bit to the side so she doesn't get in the predator's pathway and the person's like um the predator's shoulders are wider than its gait so it would have bumped naru regardless and i'm giving i'm obviously giving an inflection and paraphrasing this because they're all these are all nonsense these are all you just shut up and let the movie happen she moves to the side and it's there like get over it she sidesteps it because it's a badass moment and she's a badass and that was a cool shot. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool. She did it well. And it leads to my favorite shot of the entire film. Shut up. <laughs> so the last thing I did want to talk uh, about, which, again, which Antonio kind of mentioned as well, is uh, this movie definitely puts to rest a lot of what some people were concerned about, at least for the moment, uh, that Disney's going to sanitize so many products because they're under the Disney banner. Because even though this was released under the 20th Century Studios banner, it's still technically a Disney property, even though Disney isn't putting it on Disney Plus yet. Um, but I mean, they're they're embracing a lot more of the R-rated stuff because now we've got Deadpool, Deadpool 2, Logan. Those are all on Disney Plus. So I think Disney is starting to embrace a little bit more of that visceral entertainment genre. And I think as long as they continue to produce good quality products like Prey, it's fine. Like kids don't need to watch this and you put parental controls on these. So I, I don't know what they're, what they might be concerned about. Um, as people who enjoy these sort of things, obviously you want to make sure that it's not getting too sanitized. Cause like Matt and I talked about with the moon Knight episode, Kevin Feige came out and said, Oh, this is our most violent visceral show ever. And I'm pretty sure the Falcon and the winter soldier is more violent. Like you see a guy get his arm broke in that show. Yeah, you see the one of the most horrifying things in the entire MCU for me was seeing Cap's shield with just brain matter splattered all over it. Yeah. Moon Knight wasn't really violent. Every time it went to like go super violent, he blacked out. Yeah, exactly. I didn't think there was too much on there. Um, but I th- I think that's kind of it for this episode. Um couple quick things here uh thank you again to antonio for the review i love you but i hate you for that three minute review that just encapsulated everything that we just spent an hour talking about you did it in three minutes you're too damn good at your job um thank you to leo for our themes and our credits our transition music and all that super fantastic i hope everyone else is really enjoying it as well and alex thank you as always for coming on and you know, doing this sort of thing with me. Of course. And just so we're all aware, 
I've already been in contact with Alan Silvestri, the creator of the original Predator soundtrack. He has remixed Leo's music for us. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're jumping the gun here, man, because we still got to go through social media and reviews. Oh man, I, th- I thought we weren't going to do that. We're just going to turn in this into an Antonio. No, we actually got channel. a we, have, we actually got an Apple review. I got to read it. Okay, fine. <laughs> so you can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. Uh, on Twitter, you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a YouTube. We have a Twitch. We do have a Discord. Um, I don't know much about Discord, but Alex kind of does. So Alex is mostly kind of sort of in charge there. Yes, come talk to me. I'm the only yeah. one in there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so with that, um, we do have a review, which again, please like comment, subscribe. Uh, we have a review from perma gamer, which says talking smack does a fantastic job dissecting trailers, shows and films while keeping the conversation interesting and fun mix in some creator interviews. And this podcast makes for a very well-rounded show. Check it out. So thank you. Perma gamer. Thank you. That's really kind. People review this stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And we, we actually, um, are in the process of switching over to a new hosting service. So we should actually get to see all the reviews that come up through the hosting service. So if someone leaves a good review on like pod chaser or stitcher or Google pods, it all comes straight to our hosting site and we can review or we can read all those on air because we love hearing that you enjoy the show. Or again, if you want to leave a bad review, let us know why you don't like the show. Uh, We just want feedback. And with that, Alex, who is composing our theme music this week? Alan Silvestri has been so kind as to <laughs> remix Leo's theme song already. Uh, it's good. It's a good one. There's a lot of horns in it. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Alex, thank you again for your time. And roll that theme music. Take care, everyone. Everyone should be aware that we're turning this into a Reacts channel to Antonio's reviews. <laughs> Watch us start. So, Josh, the thing I was talking about at the start, where I asked Slade and Tim if it was appropriate or if it was creepy, um, I, I sent you a message on on, a, on Twitter saying I've done something that I've never done before and I'll never do again. So, hold on to your horses. I've written you a poem. <laughs> <laughs> And it's called an ode to talking smack. Okay, so okay. <laughs> bear with me on this, and cut me off here. Actually, at any time you think this gets weird, um, oh, okay. I'm ready for cringe. Cool, good. Uh, well, I can't <laughs> say, actually. I'm going to split my screen so I can see you cringe. I wanted to start today with a twist. If I put together pods I love, this one comes top of the list. For Slade, the man is near. For Tim and Joey, he's far. Today on Video Game Club, we welcome the man, the myth, Joshua Scar. 
If you define Oge, you get this message. And I hope this doesn't go down like a wreckage. A lyrical poem, typically one in the form of an address to, be, to a particular subject, written in a varied or irregular meter. It's usually sung, but I'm far too white to rap and the appeal of poetry was sweeter. So what did Josh bring, I hear you proclaim, besides a drink every time you hear their name? The base level would be superheroes, movies, animation and comics, from Dead Lucky to Doctor Strange down to Chippendale and Ugly Sonic. <laughs> you all know we're honoured to have Josh come on to our show. It's taken too long, but this you already know. We wanted him here sooner, or so say the rumours, but the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. I threw in some Robbie Burns to increase the uh, poetic supply. You can find him over at Josh Scar or at Talking Smack on Good Pods and Streaming Galore. Drop them a listen and follow for superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and more. And as an extra, hold on to your horses because this one's going to floor you. Keep on listening, but expect spoilers for Jedi Fallen Order. Join me, Slade, and my two co-hosts, Joey and Tim, over at the Video Game Club, where once every two weeks we review a video game. Not too dissimilar to a book club. Podcast. You you can... You can find us at the Video Game Club on all good podcast uh, providers and some sketchy ones as well. 